We are the family of God Striving to be where we are People of more Ready to receive our King Let's sing Oh, oh, oh Christ our Lord We are people of more And the lost Come I say something 
that will encourage you uh, in your spiritual journey. I take the position that the Christian life is the best life in the world. I don't apologize for it. I, there's nothing better than living the Christian life. All the wonderful things that's associated there. I won't have time to get off into it uh, this morning. But what I want to do, I want to go ahead on because I got a, a, some stuff to cover here. I want us to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And we're going to commence reading with verse number 9. We're going to terminate with verse number 14 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I will be reading from the New International Version of Ecclesiastes. Now, I know you're familiar with verses 1 through 8, but I want to start with verse number 9, where the wise man Solomon shares a message. He said, what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity into human hearts, yet no one can find what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toils. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. I want to use as a part of this one word series, life. Life. In 1999, there was a comic movie titled Life with actors Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. Some of you may remember it. We ain't going to talk about the language in there, but I'm just <laughs> Eddie Murphy was uh, played by a character. He played a character named Rayford Gibson, the fast-talking hustler. It was Martin Lawrence played the character named Claude Banks, a conservative bank teller. They were accidentally teamed up as they traveled south on a bootlegging run for some quick money. They get placed at the scene of a crime that they did not commit and get thrown in jail for life, which is the title of the movie. Now, no matter what they do or where they go, they seem like they are together for life. One of the things I want to say initially is that looking at what happened to them, you can end up in places and around people that can mess up your life. And let me say this as we observe the characters in the movie and also as we deal with people in the real world, one thing you must understand about people that everybody has a perspective, a world view, or a philosophy of life. That is why it's so important that if you want to know why people do what they do, 
Uh, you need to understand their perspective. You need to understand their worldview, their philosophy of life, and why they believe it. Their perspective, their worldview, their philosophy of life will determine how they spend their time, how they spend their money, uh, how they value relationship, how they make their decision. For example, if people believe that life is all about having fun, they will have the mindset of party, 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 live for the weekend. If they believe that a life is a race, they will value speed and they will always be in a hurry trying to get to where they're trying to get to. If they believe that there isn't anything after this life, then their mindset, I better get all what I have to get right now, whether it's legally or illegally. I'm reminded even Paul, as he addressed this kind of mindset of people who did not believe in a life after the resurrection, he talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 32. He said, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, uh, and um, be merry for tomorrow we die. In other words, his mindset was you might as well go for all the gusto you can because you only go around once in life. And so as we uh, look at our text in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 in the book of Ecclesiastes as a whole, Solomon is addressing a worldview, a perspective from under the sun. And it, what happened, it led him to the conclusion that life is void. Life is empty. Life is vanity. And what I want to do this morning, I want to talk about life from uh, a little while, from three different ideas. Number one, I want to talk about life decisions. And I want to talk about, number two, life levels. And then also, I want to talk about life metaphors. Do y'all have time for this? First of all, first of all, I want to look at life decision. You and I, in life are going to make all kinds of decisions. Some decisions going to be small. Some decisions going to be large. Some important, some not important. But let me tell you something. Uh, one of the things you need to understand about life decision, number one, a uh, life decision will affect your future. Uh, what you do today, what you decide today will affect tomorrow. And I know people don't think in those terms, but let me tell you, for example, in dealing with your physical health, you don't take care of this temple, this body. If you don't eat right, if you don't sleep right, you don't uh, exercise. Uh, let me tell you something. Uh, if you don't take care of this body, eventually this body going to run down and get sick because of the fact that you and I have not taken care of it. Amen. And I know y'all looking at me. What you talking about, Ivy? <laughs> Amen, amen. But I'm just saying, I'm just talking about how, how we take care of our body now will affect our body later on. Not only that, I'm talking about uh, and dealing with money, how you deal with your money. Uh, if you suspend your money, if you just uh, uh, get into this idea of uh, buy now and pay later, if you just go ahead and spend your money, eventually you're going to end up broke and in debt. Oh, even when it comes to relationship, what you're saying, if you are mean, if you are disrespectful, if you treat people like they, if you use people, if you are inconsiderate, uh, you're going to always be by yourself and lonely. You wonder why some people don't have a relationship because some folk don't know how to treat folk. Amen, Walt. 
The Bible said if you want friends, you got to be friendly. Amen. <laughs> I'm just talking about, I'm just dealing with the idea. One thing you need to understand about life, that our decisions that you make now will affect your future. But not only life decisions affect your future, but also life decisions will affect your family. It will affect those who depend on you. Those under your leadership, under your control, those who love you. Often you hear people say stuff like, this is my life. I do whatever whatever I want to do. Let me tell you something. The decisions that you make with your life affect other folk. I know that's right. It reminds me of what Paul said in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 7. Listen to what he said. He said in verse 7 of Romans chapter 14, for none of us live for ourselves alone. And none of us die for ourselves alone. Let me tell you, when you and I make decisions, it affects folk that care about us. I know you remember, you remember uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 11. Exodus 11. You remember there was a hard-headed person by the name of Pharaoh who was hard-hearted. And as a result of the decision that he made, it affected his family. When you go to Exodus chapter 11. Begin with verse number four and end with verse number six. Listen to what the Bible says. So Moses said, this is what the Lord said. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave uh, who is at her hand near. And all the firstborn of cattle as well. There will be loud, there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt. Worse than I have ever been or ever will be. What you're saying, preacher? I'm saying because of Pharaoh's hard heart and hard head, it affects his own family. Amen. I'm saying the same thing with us in terms of our decision. You see it sometimes with children. When children get into trouble, uh, when they get into jail or go to jail, when children uh, are on drugs, when children are involved in promiscuous sexual activity, they don't realize it's not just about them, but also about their parents. I'm saying the same thing with parents. When parents abandon their children, when parents are abusive, when parents are, are, are neglectful, let me tell you, it affects the psyche of the children. What are you saying, preacher? I am saying that the decisions that we make not only affect our future, but it also affects our family. I'm talking about life decisions now. But not only life decisions affect the family, not only affect our future, but also it affects our fate. Your relationship with God. Yes, sir. Whether you are an atheist or an agnostic, whether you are religious or theist, whether you're in the world or in the church, whether you're obedient or disobedient, salvation or damnation, let me tell you something. The decisions that you make will affect your faith. There is no neutrality. In other words, there's no middle ground. You're either on the Lord's side or you're not on the Lord's side. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 30, either you're for me or you're against me. All decisions. Let me tell you that. That's why you got to be careful of decisions that you make in life. Because all decisions has a price tag to it. It's associated with it. Whether it's a good decision or a bad decision, there are price tags associated with that decision. So the first thing I want to say in dealing with life, 
I talk about life decisions. Decisions that you make affect your future. The decisions that you make affect your family. And the decisions that you make also affect your faith. Let me move on now. Well, not only talk about life decisions, but also I want to talk about life levels. What do you mean by life levels, preacher? I want us to understand that all of us live life on certain levels. What do you mean, preacher? Some live on a survival level. What do you mean? They are, there are people who are just trying to get the basic necessities for human existence. You see this level of living. Mostly in third world countries where you see hunger and poverty and tsunami and lives in danger and explosion and shooting and slavery and rape, etc. These folk are barely surviving. They're just trying to make it. Uh, you see this mindset in a third world country, but also uh, you see it in the United States among those who are homeless. Ah, they are on the street begging for food. They are trying to survive the elements uh, of heat in the summer and cold in the winter. And that's why I tell my grandchildren, baby, let me tell you something. You, you got to realize, don't take stuff for granted. You are blessed. Uh, if they, because your parents and grandparents are able to get something for you, don't you think uh, that everybody have what you have? Oh, I tell people all the time that many people are just one or two paychecks away from homelessness. Oh, I know that's right. Because when the pandemic first began, you saw it with a lot of folk that you saw businesses that our powerful business, but because they didn't have any money just for a month, they had to close down. Now, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that there are people who are close to bankruptcy just because they don't have any money. I'm talking about people living on a survival level. But then another level that most people live on is a success level. What do you mean by success? In other words, we go after the money, the accolades and the houses and the cars and the fancy titles and the new clothes and fun, living for the weekend and vacation. Uh, we want to be the movers and the shakers of our community. We want to be the movers and shakers in the world. We have been taught this by our parents. We have been taught this by our culture. We have been taught this by our co-worker. Uh, but let me tell you something. In spite of all the success, all the success can still leave you empty, unsatisfied, void, and even lost. I'm reminding Solomon, Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he had it all. He had what we call the five W's. You had wine, women, wisdom, wealth, and worldliness. But he said all of this is vanity, a chasing after the wind. In other words, he said, look here, I got all this stuff going for me, but my, I'm still not satisfied. It reminds me of the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16 through verse 22. Uh, when he had, he had youth going for him. He had wealth. He had position and power. But then he came to Jesus and asked Jesus the question, 
good master, what must I do to inherit, inherit rather, eternal life? In other words, there must be something more than what I just have. Even though I have all that's going for me, there must be something, must be something, or must be something more to life than just success. Oh, then it's just like the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. Go over there with me. Luke chapter 12 and look at verse number 19 through verse number 21. Ah, you are minded. He hear the rich fool. He has six eyes, but he cannot see. Now I'm not talking about uh, uh, E-Y-E-S. <laughs> I'm talking about the letter I. He had all his eyes, but he could not see. Ah, but listen to what the Bible said in verse 19. Verse number 21, the Bible says, uh, I, and he said, and I say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be. But whoever store up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. In other words, God said, let me tell you, I don't have a problem with your success, but you need to keep me in the picture. You need to realize that all your blessings come from God. Amen. And so God, let me tell you, God, God, God doesn't have any problem with money. Money is not the issue with God. God said, I want you to have the right attitude towards your money. But not only to have people on a, who live on a survival level. And you have people who live on a success level. But then you have those who live on a significant level. They give themselves away to something greater than themselves. That's what Jesus was talking about in Mark chapter 8 and verse number 35. Here, Jesus said in 35, he said, for whoever wants to save his life, will lose it. But whoever lose their lives for me and for the gospel will save it. What do you mean by significance, preacher? Significance comes from serving. That's what Dr. Martin Luther King did. Although he had education, although he had accolade, although he was articulate and skillful and brilliant, but he led the civil rights movement. He gave himself away to something greater than himself. And we are still benefit from that 70 years later. That's the power of significant because they have the power to outlast you. And so I maintain that every child of God must find their purpose in life. They must find something Greater than themselves. They need to give themselves something. Give, learn how to give themselves away. That's why I tell Hood Street in dealing with life, you need to find a ministry. Because what ministry does, it gets you away from selfishness. It helps you to start doing something for somebody else. And so I'm saying that you need to be involved in something that helps you to use your gift, talent, and ability to touch the life of somebody else. And so when we talk about life, we talk about life decisions. We talk about life level. But I want to deal with one more thing, if y'all don't mind. I want to deal with life metaphors. A metaphor, of course, is a figure of speech. 
is a thing regarded as representative or symbolic of something else. Really, to deal with life effectively and successfully, you need to understand life from God's point of view, from his perspective. When you view life from a biblical perspective, you will learn something about life that the Bible talks about from God's point of view. What do you mean? Number one, you will learn that life is a test. Go to James chapter one and verse number two through verse number four. James said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work set so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let me tell you something. As you live life, you will have to undergo numerous tests. God will test your character. God will test your faith. God will test your obedience. God will test your love. God will test your integrity. God will test your loyalty. Let me tell you, character is both developed and revealed by life tests. We really don't know what we are made of until we have been tested. Oh, you want to find out what a person is all about? Let them have to go do some stuff. It's easy to talk about how strong and how faithful and how dedicated we are when the sun is shining. It's easy to talk about how dedicated we are when our stomachs are full. It's easy to talk about how faithful we are when everything is going good. But God will test us to see if we really are faithful and believe what we say we believe. Ah, oh, you remember. You remember, oh, Peter. Somebody was mentioning it. Earlier at the Last Supper, Peter began to talk all that noise. Jesus said, they're going to smite the shepherd and the sheep are going to follow. And the sheep are going to scatter. All Peter said in Luke chapter 22 and verse 33 and 34, Peter began to talk noise. He said, but Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison. And to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows, you won't deny me three times that you know me. Peter, you're talking a whole lot of noise, but you have not been tested yet. Let me tell you, either to talk until you have been tested. And let me tell you, I want to help you understand, your life will be tested. God does not just allow you to go through problems and sorrow just because God is trying to hurt you. God is trying to develop your character. And you really want to find out how strong you are. It's not when you are just successful. But a lot of times when you have to go through the flames and the fire. Amen, amen, amen. And let me tell you, I might as well throw this out here while I'm over here. Some people, are, are, they have the hardest time when they're successful. Why? Because they begin to think it's all about them. Amen. 
I don't need the Lord anymore. I got my big house. I got my car. I got my money. I have my position. But let me tell you, the danger to some folk is when they're successful. That's why God had to keep some of us poor. Amen. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. I'm trying to help you to deal with God will test our character. The final life is a test. But let me tell you, so not only life is a test, another metaphor is that life is a trust. What do you mean by that preaching? Everything that we have is on loan. Ah, uh, Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 7. He said, for we bought nothing into the world and we can't take nothing out of it. Let me tell you, tell you uh, we are just managers trustees and stewards of what God have loaned us. Our time, our energy, our opportunity, our relationship, our resources, our gift from God he has entrusted to us. Matter of fact, God has given us all these things that help to make our lives better, but we have to realize they're on loan. That's why Job, when he lost all the things that men lean on for support. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, I know God just loaned me these things. Oh, the car <laughs> that you're driving is on loan. That house you live in is on loan. The money that's in your bank, in your CDs, and in your investment is on loan. The clothes that you're wearing is on loan. Even the relationship that you have are on loan. You can't take it with you when you leave this world. God just loaned them to And let me tell you, that'll help you deal with life. When you lose your mind, when you lose your love, when your husband, your spouse, you realize that God just loaned them to us for a short while. I'm trying to help you understand it. I'm not saying you won't grieve. I'm not saying you're not going to hurt. I'm not saying you're going to not be in pain. But you need to understand that God just loaned them to us. Thank God for the mother that they led. He loaned us. Thank God for our husband and our wife that he have loaned us. Thank God even for our children. He just loaned them to us. And if you get understand life metaphor, it's for as life is just a trust. God just loaned into it to help you deal with life so much. I tell people all the time, you don't ever want to put your whole trust in something that you can lose. Let me tell you, let me tell you, you put your whole trust foundation in something that you will lose, you will fall apart when you lose it. I worked in the psych system for 20 years. I've seen folk fall apart because they put their hope and their trust in something that they can lose. I'm trying to help you to understand it. That's why you have to look at life's metaphor, that life is a trust. Life is a test. But the last one I want to mention, I'm going to close this thing out in a few minutes now. Life is a temporary residence. Oh, James, James said, what is your life? It's just a vapor that appeared for a little while and then just vanished away. He said, what you ought to say, those of you who are planning on making money, uh, carrying on business, what you ought to say, if the Lord will, 
We'll do this and we'll do that. Let me tell you, we are not meant to live here and stay here forever. There are four things that people hate to admit. Number one, we hate to admit that we are growing old. Amen. Amen. If you live tomorrow, you're going to be older than you are today. I don't care how much exercise you do. I don't care about this so-called fountain of youth. I don't care of all the makeup in the world. If you live tomorrow, you're going to be older than you are today. Because we are getting old. Amen. Uh, another thing we hate to face is that we are going to reap what we sow. There's a law of the harvest that you reap what you sow. Paul said, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Nobody is smart enough to get past the law of the harvest. We reap what we sow. We reap more than we sow and we reap longer than we sow. We need to understand that's a law of the harvest. That's why I don't worry about when you see people seem like they are getting away with things. They may get away with things with men, but there's a God who sits high and look lower. And God know how to handle folk. Amen. But the third thing that we hate to admit is that one day we're going to die. All oh, the Hebrew writers say it's appointed unto a man who wants to die. And after that, the judgment. Let me tell you, I don't care who you are, black, white, polka dot. I don't care if you're rich or poor, educated or uneducated. I don't care who know you or who you know. One day, you're going to die. And let me tell you something. You don't have to be sick to die. Or you can be healthy and still die. You don't have to be old to die. You can be young and die. The only qualification to die is just to live. Getting quiet. We hate to face that. And then the last thing. We hate to face the fact that one day. We're going to have to stand before God in the day of the judgment. And to give an account of our lives. While here upon this earth. I'm telling you. We are not meant to stay here. Forever. Our Methuselah lived 969 years. But then he died. If you're going to be able to handle the storms of life. If you're going to deal successfully with the challenges, the crisis, and the ups and downs of life, you need to accept God's metaphor regarding life. I'm closing now. I'm closing. When you go back to the book of Ecclesiastes, the question is asked, is life really worth living? Really? It depends on how you view it. While Solomon was viewing life from under the sun, he began to say that his vanity, empty, are chasing after the wind. But when he looked at life above the sun from a spiritual perspective, first of all, he looked up. According to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. And he understood that God orders time. Time is in God's hand. It's a time to do this and a time to do that. Time is in God's hand. Then he looked within. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 9 to 14. 
and he realized that God put eternity in our hearts. What do you mean by that, preacher? In other words, uh, human beings, we want to live forever. But God said, you're not going to live forever down here. You are going to live forever, but it's going to have to be after this life is over with. And then he looked ahead. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 15 through verse 22. Realize that death is coming to us all. The question is, are you ready? Life, death, time, eternity. These are the ingredients that make up the brief experience we call life. Solomon said, you can enjoy life. But you have to make sure you have it from God's point of view. That's why he closed it out by saying in Ecclesiastes 12 and 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandment. For this is the whole duty of man. But in the original Hebrew, it just is the whole of man. If a man wants to be whole, if a man wants to be fulfilled, he needs to let God control his life. You can enjoy life. It talks about it in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 24. It talks about it in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 12 through 15 and 22. It talks about it in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 18 through 20. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, 7 through 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verses 9 through 10. What are you saying, preacher? I have to say this because people get the impression that God don't want us to enjoy, enjoy life. That God is some kind of a kill joy. No ma'am and no sir. God say, I want you to enjoy life. You just have to make sure that I'm at the center of your life. That's why, that's why Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I'll offer you a quality of life. Because there are a lot of folk who are living but they don't have life. Amen. And so I'm trying to close now. Life. Remember life decisions. Not only decision, remember life levels. And then remember life metaphors. There may be somebody here this morning who wants to really enjoy life. Let me tell you something. There's not a better life than the Christian life. I say that at the beginning. I don't apologize for that. I know that the Christian life is the best life in the world. Not only from an intellectual standpoint, but from a practical standpoint. Christianity deals with our past. I don't care what you have done. God is willing to forgive you. Some people ask the question, if I could just turn back the hand of time, I'll be all right. God said, I'll forgive you and give you a new life so you can start all over again. Christianity deals with our present. He gives us a purpose to live for even right now. And then Christianity deals with the future. He offers heaven. <laughs> when you live faithful to the end, there's nobody or nothing that offers all those things for our past, our present, and our future. What does it take to have a relationship with the Lord? The same thing they had when they began Christianity in Acts chapter 2. You heard the word of God, Romans 10, 17, Acts 2, 22. You have to believe that the word of God is the standard. I know they got all kinds of stuff out here trying to indicate that they are the standard. They're the God. Now, let me tell you something. The word of God is the standard. Not how we feel. Not the majority. Not any dreams. None of that. The standard. The standard 
is the word of God. I don't have time to get off into why it is. The fact that it is the word of God, I don't have to talk about the inspiration of it, but the fact that it is the word of God. Like they say, when E.F. Hutton speaks, we listen. When God speaks, we need to listen. And then we need to believe in the dead burial and the resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. We have a resurrected Savior. Someone who died, got up, and never to die again. And as a result of him getting up, he guaranteed that we one day going to get up. And then we need to repent, change from our way of doing things, and do things the Lord's way. Luke 13, 3 and 5. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31. Then we need to confess Jesus to be the Son of the living God. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. And then be baptized. Why? For the remission of all our past sins. Acts 2, 38. It doesn't matter what you have done. God will forgive you of all your past sins. And a beautiful thing about Christianity, not only we have our forgiveness of sin, but then we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit does something for us. It helps us to live the Christian life. We bring the will and the Holy Spirit brings the power. We can't live the Christian life in and by our own strength. The Christian God, what the Holy Spirit does for us, it empowers us to do what God wants us to do when we have the will to do it. Amen. And then the Lord will add you to his spiritual family, the Church of Christ. Acts 2 and verse 47. The Lord died for the church. He bought the church and he said, I'm going to add you to it. Acts 2, 47. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and Romans 16 and 16. And in the Lord's church, God wants us to be an example to the world. Sometimes people just leave me some physical example that Christianity works. And I know what the Bible says and the Bible is right. Sometimes folks just need to see some flesh and blood. They need to see that, hey, if Christianity can change a rascal like Leon, then I know Christianity can do something for me. Amen. Some folks have to see somebody to know that Christianity works because they, they remember how we used to be. And they say, that, what, what is that, that to change somebody like him or her? If he can change them, then I got some hope that he can change me. Oh, let me close. Now. I'm closing now. I want to say that him, you need to give your life to the Lord. Why don't you come as we stand and sing the songs of invitation. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come I'm going to trade my earthly home for a better one brought in. Well, Christ has left to prepare a mansion for his children indeed. You know that I will go in better land where tears nor sorrow can be.